Welcome to Can You Hold My Attention? I'm your host, Eric Bruton. Thank you for tuning into my podcast today. On this show, I invite some of the most important and exciting leaders in wealth management and fintech to discuss and debate the latest trends and hottest topics facing financial advisors today. So why should you listen to this show? Well, my goal is for you to learn one or two ideas that will help you run a better business and or become a stronger leader. These shows have been a blast to do, mostly because of the great guests and the interesting conversations we've had. You can follow Can You Hold My Attention on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher. Every now and then, I come across someone in financial services that I call a true Swiss army knife. An industry professional that has successfully served in strategic and operating roles, a leader who can move effortlessly between conversations on asset management, the state of custodians and broker-dealers in this industry, fintech, and an industry veteran who has converted all of this experience into leadership positions with some of the most successful companies in the industry. But I found that Swiss Army knife, and she's none other than the multi-talented Lori Hardwick. Lori's career in financial services spans nearly 30 years and includes roles at Nuveen, Investnet, Pershing, and her own company, AI Labs, which she sold to Investnet in 2020. At this point of her career, Lori has set her sights on helping several companies with their strategic goals via her board of director seats at Orion, Vestwell, Cetera, as well as private equity firm Genstar. It's going to be a lot of fun wrapping with one of the few leaders in our industry who can literally discuss in detail just about every trend facing financial advisors today. So Lori, welcome to the show. I know it, it took a, a while to get you on our on our podcast. Well, thank you, Derek. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. And um, I think that, you know, I think I'm going to put myself up to the challenge to keep everyone's attention to the very end. So, uh, Well, with your background and your experience, I think it's going to be darn near impossible not to keep people's attention. <laughs> uh, but I know you're a, an extremely busy person. I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't know how you do it all. Five board seats, speaking engagements. I know you're not, I'm not the first person to have you on a podcast. Please tell me you're not also training for a triathlon. <laughs> no, I am not. I I honestly have really embraced this COVID thing. I got to tell you, I have found that, or just the lockdown part, I should say, you know, I've really found that not having to travel to all these meetings and, you know, being able to zoom in and zoom out um, and then have, you know, some little more time for the family and and some balance in my life has been really, really good. So um, I now that the world's opening back up and the country's really getting back on track, I'm not sure quite how I feel about that, but still embracing it. Well, I sense that you're very similar to me. You like this sense of community and being around people. And in spite of Zoom and our phone calls and everything that we've done, we've lost a lot of that. Uh, we lose it through the conferences we all attend. I know that but also just the one-on-one -on -one meetings with people. And you're on a, yeah. you know, a lot of boards. I imagine most, if not all these board meetings have been by Zoom, right? Yeah, all of them had been pretty much by Zoom. Um, you know, we I was at the Orion um, offices about two weeks ago and 
when I started on their board, it was October. And even prior to that, um, you know, we obviously had been locked down since March. So conversations had started certainly much prior to that as we were doing the deal between Brinker and Orion. But I will tell you, the funniest thing is that when you only see people in this Brady Bunch you know, square for so long, you do not really have any understanding of what the rest of their body looks like. So as I got there, I'm like, oh my God, you're so much taller than I expected or so much, you know, more fit than I expected. I mean, it's just hilarious how when you only see people from the shoulders up, like, you know, the rest of your mind just makes up the rest. So, and it's not always correct. I'll tell you that. That's true. I always tell people on Zoom I'm five five, but in reality I'm six ten. So uh, nobody yeah. can tell you sit down. You're on video. Uh, this is great. Well, right. I mentioned triathlon earlier. I think you know if if you were competing in the Olympics, though, Laura, you'd be uh, uh, in the decathlon because your background <laughs> I mean, spans technology, asset management, broker dealers, custodians. Uh, what haven't you done uh, in financial services anyway? <laughs> Yeah, I I do. I'm very, very lucky to have come. And, you know, now that I'm on boards, having that really well-rounded background of, as you say, asset management, building a wealth management platform, understanding the technology side of things, having built my own company, um, and also clearing custody, it gives me a lens that allows me in many, many times to say, you know what? I've seen this movie before. Here's how we should or shouldn't approach this problem or solution. And um, so I do feel like that has allowed me to be an even more um, kind of well-rounded executive, especially on these boards I'm on. Yeah, it's all about perspective. And you've got amazing perspective from from those many different angles, COO of Pershing, uh, InvestNet, and you spent time on broker dealer boards and such. And it, I always mm-hmm. tell people in San Diego, you can always tell a native San Diegan because when it's 50 degrees outside, outside they're wearing a down jacket. They, they have no perspective. They never <laughs> lived in New York or never lived in Minneapolis. That's uh, right. But you bring that to the table in so many ways. And I, you know, I, I want to jump into a question here. Speaking of broker dealers and custodians, you know, a decade ago, I'd say there was there were distinct differences between independent broker dealers and custodians and between fee-based advisors at each of these different entities. And I feel as though those lines have blurred over the last 10 years as BDs and, our, and uh, custodians. And George Costanza and Seinfeld, I'm a big Seinfeld fan, he said, worlds are colliding, Jerry. You know, the worlds <laughs> of broker dealers and, and custodians have been colliding. And they've been become so much more similar. The differences in value propositions have become smaller. I mean, what's your take on all this? You know, I do think that there's a lot of truth to that. Um, you know, if you think way back, you know, 20 years ago or even just 15 years ago, broker dealers were really known for kind of like the transactional commission side of the world. And then you had your RIAs who were, you know, fee-based and, you know, more of the CFP types. Since that 15-year mark, I mean, literally, the evolution has almost flipped. Um, When I was at Pershing, I remember, and that was in 2016-17, that we were looking at the evolution of PAS at that time. And the number of assets that had run through PAS had, like, 
quadrupled in the last three to four years. And it is because a lot of the broker dealers now, um, rather than being, you know, just pure commission are actually more like 70% advisory and fee based. And so they find different ways to run those assets through on the custody side, frequently on the RIA side. Um, so it can be an asset based charge and all of that. So, you know, I think additionally, uh, just the mentality of broker dealers has changed, meaning, you know, again, 15, 20 years ago, I remember when we were starting InvestNet, you know, the broker dealers really just wanted a one size fits all platform. That was what was going to be easiest for them to give to their advisors. And quite frankly, the advisors didn't ask for anything differently. Um, you know, they were happy with that one size fits all um, solution for the most part. And now I think advisors are really looking for more flexibility and optionality, not in just the tools that they have, but in the investment offerings they have. And the broker dealers have now morphed into being able to offer more flexibility and optionality to those advisors while still staying under the umbrella of, of their broker dealer. So I do think that's been twofold um, in the way that, you know, things are morphing and evolving. And how much of that evolving, not just the advisors and their needs, but how much of the evolving of these evolving platforms have to do with broker dealers in particular, bringing in people from other industries, uh, namely the RA custody business. Yeah. As such. Um, have they, how much has that uh, contributed to this evolution? Yeah, I well, I do think it does contribute. I mean, you know, the idea of bringing in people, not even just from other areas of financial services, but even outside financial services, people are hiring, you know, people from Google or from, you know, completely different, even the consumer side of the world um, to come into financial services. And I think, you know, the idea around it typically is to try to think about things differently, have a new lens on the way things go, but also allow for a better client or advisor experience overall. And I do think that we, you know, certainly we've seen a lot of kind of um, cross pollination of, you know, the powers that be at the broker dealers bringing in really big names from the RIA side and vice versa. Um, and you think about the platforms too. Like I am on the board of Orion and we, you know, have traditionally been 90% of our client base is RIA. We're now opening up that platform to, to also appeal to broker dealers. And when we do that, we need new talent who understands all that, all the pieces that go into appealing to an R or to a broker dealer and understanding those home office tools that have to be, um, you know, not, not just because they want them, but even regulatorily, they need to be able to see certain activities the advisors are doing. So building in all those extra things and marketing to those people is very different than marketing to end RIAs. So we realize, you know, it isn't one size fits all. There's got to be configurability within the platform that appeals to an RIA versus a broker dealer. But I think you know, as you look across the landscape, Derek, not only custodians, but you have, you know, even Goldman now is going into the RIA side. Um, you know, certainly Investnet and Orion and, you know, uh, Riskalyze, they've all been kind of playing on both sides for a while. So, 
we're going to see more and more of that. And I actually think that from a disrupting perspective, that the evolution of where RIAs are going is going to disrupt the industry more than how it used to be, where the big institutions come up with a great idea and like kind of change the way things are done. It's going to be these one and two man shop RIAs and what their demands are to actually prove out what is needed for the next 10 years. Well, I agree. And at the foundation of a lot of this optionality now for advisors, which by the way, I think is really healthy for this industry. I think having Goldman and having uh, other new custodians or newer custodians like Altruist and Apex yep. and Ixos, all the A custodians, as I call them, um, in addition to the traditionals, I think is very healthy for this industry. But what's at the foundation of all this is technology and the mm-hmm. optionality that uh, technology allows for. And you did a lot of work at AI Labs to connect the te- technology silos that really exist in our industry. What impact did you have in, in driving greater efficiency to advisory yeah. businesses? You know, so the premise between or behind AI Labs, and that was Advisor Innovation Labs, um, which was a company I helped found with Mike Zabrowski, who had been COO of eMoney for many, many, like 15, 16 years with Edmund Walters. Um, we came together and said, you know, there's too many advisors out there who are kind of being forced down a continuum of a one-stop shop technology. You know, and I live that at Investnet where people were like, you guys really aren't the best at everything. I wish you would integrate more. And, and we were like, well, we know we're not the best at everything, but the power of the integrated parts should like take up the difference or make up the difference. And so the premise between AI or with AI labs was to say, look, you get to pick your best of breeds solutions. And everyone has seen that. And I've heard you mention the Michael Kitsitz report and how there's just a ridiculous number of new emerging firms out there. And every RIA out there was kind of in and broker dealer, quite frankly, was coming up with their own ecosystem of what was best for their practice. And when you, when we approached the market, we were like, let's, build a unified portfolio or portal that allows all of the best of breed options to show up in one place. Now, the really important thing to remember with all of this, and it's still the stat always surprises me. Advisors on average only use five to 10% of the features and functionality that the, each one of their software packages. So they are taking, you know, all day long, swivel chairing between the different applications and taking one piece from one side and another piece from another side to try to build a holistic story before they meet with their client and give them, you know, the best advice that they can. So our thought was, let's pull it all in one place. Let's bring that five or 10% that they're utilizing and actually using of the data so that they can have it all in one spot. So that um, we ended up selling the company um, one week before <laughs> before the lockdown for COVID happened. So March 6th was our close date of a successful acquisition. And um, I'm proud to say we had, you know, four or five different bidders on that company. And uh, it ended up at InvestNet. So um, they still have it alive and functioning today. And it's nice to see it continuing to 
to grow. But um, in my opinion, you know, building those efficiencies for advisors could not be more paramount. I have always believed in the idea of advisors who have more capacity in their day will use that capacity to serve more clients to help them meet their financial goals. And to me, that always, even if it was one more person, one more client that advisor got to serve, I felt like my work was, you know, was going to be valued. Let me run this one by you. I've always felt like advisors want ultimate flexibility. They want to see that Kitsis map and see yeah. 15 different financial planning technologies yeah. and 15 different CRMs. But at the end of the day, they need a platform that is works for their firm, works for the type of firm, the size of firm that they have based on you know whatever staff they have. Right. And it needs to be integrated. So they want flexibility, want all these things. But at the end of the day, they need something closer to a one-stop shop, don't they? Yeah. So it, it's actually such, I love this topic because it is a debate. Um, I think that at the end of the day, you are right. Having something all in one place where you can, one feeds into the other seamlessly and you're able to really build, you know, an end-to-end wealth management platform and have access to that. Now, I'm on the board of Satera and, you know, they work really hard to make sure that they're looking at all of the emerging opportunities. Uh, you know, software packages out there that they continually stay on top of it year after year because all of those emerging softwares are expanding every year. And the legacy softwares, quite frankly, are continue to expand their offerings. So they really work hard to try to make sure that their advisors have the truly the best options at their fingertips. And I do think there's a lot of value to that. I've seen a lot of different RIAs who lean into new technology and spend all day long, all week long, all month long, all year long, just trying to stay on top of it. And it's it's a, almost an unwieldy, complex you know, outcome at the end of the day, if they continue to try to just utilize the next, 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 and don't stop and say, okay, we have what we need. I'll revisit it again in two years um, or, you know, one year even minimum um, to just try to get what they need for their practice. And I always encourage advisors to say, okay, when you're buying new technology or looking at new technology, don't just look at what you need today. Look at what you're going to potentially need for tomorrow or your next generation of of clients. Um, Because, you know, if you look at it myopically for today, you might find yourself on, you know, kind of the never ending hamster, you know, wheel of trying to find the next best thing to, to offer your clients. So try to think outside the box a little bit for what might be coming. I would say, for example, estate planning, like if you're working with clients that don't quite need estate planning yet, maybe if you pick a solution that does have estate planning as part of it, you know, you'll be able to leg into that later versus having to stop what you're using and pick something else. I mean, look what's, look what's happened in the market over the last three years. We've mm-hmm. had managing high net worth clients. Now they're managing those same clients, except they fall into ultra high net worth categories. Their needs right. have changed. Maybe they need trust services, their estate planning. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're looking at some illiquid assets 
And so you want to be with a portfolio management system or performance reporting system that can adjust to those things as your clients have adjusted. Now, if you've really invested well, in addition to nice market appreciation, then you really have large clients. And you mentioned something earlier, the fact that advisors often use maybe 10, 15% of that of the capacity or the or the ability right. of the technology platform. I think Salesforce is a great example of that. Orion could be an example yes. of that. There's so much horsepower there to take advantage of. And that's good because advisors, as they adjust, as they get some more time, maybe hire more staff that is more capable, they can start using that other 80% of the platform, right? That's right. And I always encourage advisors to have, you know, mark their calendars a year out every year to do an annual review of their technology, get a new demo, find out what other solutions they've added over the last year. Because a lot of times you'll end up with three or four different redundant technologies that you're, uh, that you are buying and you don't need to be doing that anymore. So maybe Orion or, you know, AssetMark or whoever is, has added a new widget that you've been paying for elsewhere, you will never know it if you don't try to be kind of like a new client again and look at it and say, I want to see everything you have, just give it to me. And um, it really, I think it saves, ultimately it does save you time because I can't tell you how many times at InvestNet I had clients at calling me and saying, do you know where I could find a great whatever? And I'd be like, we have that. Why would you... <laughs> When you have already bought it, you don't even have to get it. So, you know, just be aware that, you know, because technology is constantly evolving to do that audit check and it, I guarantee you, it's going to pay off in some way, shape or form. You know, what, what firms out there, I mean, I, everything you're talking about here, it reminds me of this, this word that's, you know, runs through our industry right now is complexity. The complexity mm -hmm. of, of running a business is just growing and growing you know, mm -hmm. thanks to the regulators, the whole compliance and legal side of things, but also technology, asset management, just looking at a Kitsis map. Well, that's great. It's mm -hmm. at the same time, I, you get overwhelmed by the complexity of it. What firms are have great platforms out there, but are doing a really good job managing or simplifying their, the, the messaging of what they can do. I mean, I, I think it's perfect. I had that all the time at, at, at LPL, yeah. for example, where clients were on the verge of leaving LPL because they didn't think we had something. Well, right. we've had it all along. It's just that maybe we can communicate that capability. Well, I think that there's two sides of this, Derek. It's one, the communication, but the other side of it is how if people are trying to listen to it in the right way, you know, are they actually trying to absorb it? I feel like advisors frequently will be like, they don't have it and just shut. To, they don't try to even find out if if there's a solution for them. And like you said, instead, it's I got to leave because my BD doesn't have this or I got to leave my platform because I know they don't have this. And I would say, you know, I think the firms that have done a very good job are more on the custodian side. You know, I think TD Ameritrade actually did a great job of helping people understand Veo and all the various pieces that could help surround a advisor's business to help 
fortify and nourish that business and help them grow. Um, they did, they had a great marketing um, around you uh, kind of around that solution. And now under Schwab, I don't know if that'll all stay the same, but it, but they're one that I would really hold out as had done a good job of that. Um, but I do think a lot of the onus is on the listener. And so for all of you listeners out there right now, I encourage you to listen better because if you do, I believe it will hold, you know, it, it holds you accountable to know what is there and what's not there. And I do think it's just as important to know what technologies you currently are subscribed to that maybe you don't need anymore. There's a lot of value in saying it's time to move on from that. Right. Um, whether it's content you're getting that isn't valuable to you anymore. You know, you got to, we all have to find ways to build capacity in our day. And the things that matter most are what we need to prioritize and get the rest off of our plate because it becomes distractions and sometimes expensive distractions you're paying for that, you know, if you're really introspective about how you're utilizing it for your business, you might just not need it anymore. Yeah. Plus it just takes time, money. Yeah. Exactly. Attention, what have you, training to maintain something. And if you're not using it, just move on. And like you said, there's a lot of overlap. So chances oh, yeah. are something else you're, you've got on in your tech stack is already addressing whatever that need is. Let me ask you this question. And I've been wanting to ask this question, just haven't had the perfect guest on my show to ask it. And you're the perfect <laughs> guest. So, uh oh, what is it? No, because your background is perfect for you. Do you think there's a race between fintech and wealth tech firms to control the entire technology stack of an advisor and provide that one stop shop? One stop shop. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yes, the answer is yes. There has been a race to be the hub. I'll call it. Um, and when I say the hub, I'm meaning, you know, where advisors log in to that one place in the morning and they stay on that hub pretty much the whole day. Now they may, all, you know, kind of single sign on outside of that hub to get something else or bring in data. There's 100% a race for the, to be the hub. Um, and it all, you know, also kind of parlays into your earlier question, which is, you know, that end-to-end -end wealth management platform. Everyone wants to kind of be able to do it all for an advisor so that they, you know, can hopefully have more efficiencies and a great experience. But also, let's be honest, it becomes a very sticky, sticky client for those firms if they do it right. Um, I know at Orion, we are constantly thinking, and also Vestwell, um, which they do retirement so retirement account solutions um, for employment, employee benefit plans and that type of thing for advisors. Every roadmap that you're looking at when you're building product roadmaps, you're thinking about how do we offer that client more an expansive options within the platform. And so you're thinking about that, not only from kind of like, again, to from a client satisfaction perspective, that's what is paramount. But then secondarily, it's, you know, how do we compete best against competitors who also have, you know, kind of the full end-to-end -end platform. So I, I know that at Custodians, we thought about that for a long time. How do we own more, be it in the advisor's day from beginning to end? 
The one thing that I will um, kind of just warn people about, I guess, is if, you know, if you're getting on board with either a new custodian or a new platform, some kind of new technology, and you're trying to make sure that your other third party, um, you know, vendors that utilize that you're utilizing or partners, I should say, are are integrated. It is a very important how you ask that question about integration, because so many advisors get into a platform and say, I was promised this was integrated later to find out it's just a single sign on that saves them very little time and really becomes just as frustrating situation as they had before, except one worse because now they have another platform to deal with. So when you're talking about integrations, people will start to talk about APIs and when people start to talk about APIs, ask them if it's a dual data share, meaning does is there a push and is there a pull of data? And if there's only a one-way pull, which frequently is the answer, make sure it's the data you actually want to see right. in that core technology you plan to use. Um, ideally, it is a push and pull so that you can go to both technologies and see the other parts of whatever you're trying to see all in one place. Um, I do think there's benefit overall, and and this gets, I think, back to your question you asked earlier, Um, but it's, you know, people who are focused or firms that are focused on a particular area of financial services typically do it better than trying to do it all. So it's not a bad thing if you're asking for an integration. Um, It's actually a really good thing, but just make sure it's not going to create more havoc in your life than what is already happening because the the word integration is way overused and there are lots of various ways it can be done from extremely light to super heavy. You got to peel back the onion on integration, no doubt. Um, Definitely. I think that your point about the push and pull of data, that's important. Um, but I, but it goes back to what I was saying earlier, the need versus the want. If I were getting into this business today, or if I just woke up one morning and said, I got to simplify what I'm doing. I'm driving mm-hmm. myself nuts, my staff nuts. I would want to look for a one-stop shop solution and recognize that maybe not every piece of yeah, that solution, the CRM, the front, it's not perfect, but do I, do I, I want perfection. Do I need perfection in order to run a very successful and effective business? And I think a lot of advisors are starting to realize that they can settle with maybe not every piece of the stack being the top performer. And I think that's why why we see this race was a bit of a loaded question because why we see this race to occupy that stack. Um, So it's, it'll be interesting to see, but you know, one other piece of this I wanted to ask you though, is this, the sense I, Dave Patrick used this term a long time ago, co-opetition where Mm -hmm. a firm like Orion is working with, other firms uh, in mm-hmm. financial planning, CRM, what have you, but they're also developing their own solutions. And right. I don't, I, I love that. I think it's healthy for the industry. I think it gives advisors yeah. choice. Um, I think if you don't do that, advisors, even if they love your solution, are going to get angry that you've only presented them with one. Right? Um, yeah. All this is good, but do you do you see this? Does that? Is that going to create more conflict over time, you think, between these firms that are trying to integrate with each other? 
And to, well, I agree with you. I think that competition and coopetition is always healthy. I really do. I, I think, you know, monopolies are not good. And so the way that we can all help advisors is play in the same sandbox and make things easier on them and have a way for, you know, them to select what is best for their, for their business. And, you know, at the end of the day, advisors, you know, because of the evolution that we talked about earlier on, where our advisors that were broker dealer affiliated were moving into RIA world, they have the sense of, I want to be in control. I want to own it. I do not want to be held captive. I've lived in that broker dealer or wirehouse world where I don't want to be held captive anymore. And by the love of God, you're not going to hold me captive. And so if one of these wealth management firms say, we're not integrating with the other, they immediately bristle and to your point, say, I'm just going to leave. I don't, I, I don't even, I don't want to be stuck in a situation where you're going to hold my feet to the fire to use in, in that situation. You're crappy stuff. Cause I don't, cause, cause I found a better solution and you're threatened by it or whatever. So I think at the end of the day, it is important, not only healthy for the industry and good for, for advancements in technology, but I, I do think it's necessary for firms to play in the sandbox well together in order to succeed in financial services, particularly when it comes to RIAs. I agree with you. Independence is synonymous with flexibility, I believe. Mm -hmm. Advisors want that flexibility, uh, but at the same yep. time, they they love this spirit. I mean, co-opetition, co competition helps with pricing. It helps keep people on the cutting edge of innovation. All this is really right. good for our industry. I'm going to switch topics a little bit and talk about something I know that is very near and dear to your heart, uh, very much is to, to me. And I think if I looked up diversity in financial services, I might find your photo in, in, the, in the dictionary. Mm -hmm. You've not only uh, succeeded in, in bringing to several boards out there, Satara, Ryan, you mentioned, Vestwell, uh, right. Vestwell, right? Not Best well, and also um, Genstar, Genstar. Uh, which is a private equity company as well, right? Yeah. So I know this is extremely important uh, to you. You've you've made a mission, you know, to you've made it your mission to be a change agent in this business. Can you detail for us what you've done and? what you are doing to involve more women specifically in financial services? Sure. So, you know, I was very, very lucky to be put in a position of leadership at InvestNet at a time where, you know, we were founding the company and growing that company and taking that company public and then growing the company a little more. So I really owe it, honestly, to Judd Bergman, um, and also to Bill Kreger, who believed in me and gave me the chance to be a senior executive woman at a really huge wealth management firm. That gave me the platform then to be a really great um, advocate for other women seeking financial services. And one of the things that I have found is that women, for the most part, do not seek out financial services. If you talk to Cheryl Nash or Noreen Beeman or any of the Barbara Turner, I mean, none of us went into financial services by choice. We all just kind of fell into it. Um, and that is not okay, you know, because the 
the percentage of women in our industry will always stay very stagnant if people just find, you know, accidentally find their way here. So um, there are a number of different um, initiatives now going on. Um, InvestNet has Institute on Campus that really helps women during their college years be under, you know, understand that there's great opportunities in financial services, relationship managers, and, and honestly, being an advisor. I mean, none of that really crosses their mind until you have an opportunity to kind of think about it. One of the things that I do um, a lot of is just being a sounding board for women in the industry. Um, frequently, they'll find themselves in um, predicaments that they just need another woman to talk to. Right. And I and someone who's been there before. And so I will always lend an ear to those women. Um, I get a few calls a week. And I also help them find other positions if you know, where they are isn't really giving them a conducive environment to really thrive. And so um, what I love now is that because I think of all the work that we've done through MMI, and I'm on Dynasty Network's uh, women's board, a lot of different organizations um, kind of going towards this mission. But, you know, because of all that work, I see it culminating now in a very ripe environment for women in financial services and particularly financial services and technology. I think I'm a great example of how you can parlay operating roles into board roles um, because of that experience. So I really encourage women who are the least bit interested in financial services to give it a shot because it's a great, it's really, I could not speak any more highly of the industry and of my experience having grown up in this industry. I mean, that, that's great. And I have one of my guests on the show was the head women's basketball coach at Stanford University, Tara Vandeveer. Yeah. And she said something very similar to what you said, Lori. She said it starts out earlier in one's life, mm -hmm. in high school, mm -hmm. in college maybe even before that, talking about how you can be a head coach in basketball. Right. You can be successful in, in what was previously always known as a, a men's sport. And you're right. talking about the same thing in financial services. Uh, educate early, coach early, mentor right. early. I love that message. And anybody listening out there, you know, please work in your communities to work with females, women much earlier so that they get that message. And I think right. ultimately, I think financial services has a has a, a black eye given a lot of the stuff that happens. Um, mm -hmm. Unfortunately, gets the negative stuff gets more um, reporting out there. Yeah. Media. But, but and that that hampers not just women get into this business, but men, you know, any our, our youth get right. into this business overall is a problem. I love that message. I love everything you're doing. Thank I you. love the fact that you took time to be on my show today. This has been super awesome. I, I don't think I've had anybody with such a wide range of experience and background to come oh, on and talk about some of the most topical things out there in our industry. So thank you very thank much. You. I, hope you, I hope you take some time to enjoy the fourth. I know you're so darn busy, but... <laughs> I uh, know we we've got a, a big group of friends coming in from Chicago here. I live in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware now, so we're a hot spot for people who want to get away. So we'll be having fun in the pool and uh, 
I appreciate you having me on the on the show. It's really been fun. It's always a pleasure talking with you, Derek. Thank you. Well, thank you, Lori. And uh, yeah, enjoy the weekend and uh, continue doing all the great things that you're doing in this industry. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. And thank you for listening to my show today. You can subscribe to Can You Hold My Attention podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, and Stitcher, as well as through our LinkedIn page with the same name. Have a great day. Stay safe.